Good morning, everybody. We're glad that you have joined us. All of you who've been reading the Bible together with us, we appreciate you every week coming back again and again and being a part of these discussions through different parts of the Bible. Uh, today, Jeremy is working hard in another area of our ministry, and consequently, he's not here joining us in a part of this discussion. And we certainly understand that sometimes we get busy doing other things that are important to be done as we're getting ready for different things that have to be done. But I'm thankful to have joining me today Dr. Tim Yates, who is my dear friend and co-laborer here at the church. Uh, I always think about uh, Jeremy and Tim as being our resident theologians, <laughs> and I appreciate their uh, incredible knowledge of the Scripture and their love for Jesus and uh, their desire to see God's church uh, go forward. And I appreciate you, Thank you. Uh, discussing with me today f uh, this book of 1 Timothy. I, I love the book of 1 Timothy. Um, when I was a young boy, uh, just called to preach, and I had an opportunity to preach, um, you know, I read through this book, tried to make sure I understood what it had to say because it is speaking to uh, a preacher, a young preacher, and giving to him, you know, how the church is supposed to be conducted and about how uh, a minister should be, how his life should be. And so what stands out to you as you think about our study today and our discussion today uh, on First Timothy? Well, uh, Im immediately when I, when I think of First Timothy, uh, I, I think of the phrase that's in, in verse 1, mm. uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus mm. Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior. Mm. And th that's an unusual phrase, mm. God our Savior. Mm -hmm. Normally Scripture right. says Jesus right. our Savior. Uh, but uh, when I was rehearsing through these verses today, I remembered that's a key phrase in, in 1 Timothy. Mm. It's found nine times in the Bible, but it's found seven times in, in the pastoral epistles okay. uh, where God is called our Savior. He is God our Savior, okay. the deity of Christ. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so I, I love those verses. If, if you go over to chapter 2, you, you see it again. This is good and acceptable uh -huh. in the sight of God, our Savior. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love those verses that reaffirm the, the deity of Christ. I'm sure that so. you all have discussed it, and Jeremy has discussed it. One of the things that's fun to do when you're reading through any book of the Bible is to look for things that are repeated in a particular book and that you know that the author is uh, emphasizing, he's wanting you to take note of yes. and pay attention to, and obviously that's one of those that uh, he wants us to take note of. So when you see that phrase repeated, I think, did you say six times? Well, I think it's uh, nine times in the Bible, okay. Okay. seven times in the pastoral okay. epistles. And so as you read that phrase, when they look through this phrase that they read here in the pastoral epistles, He's emphasizing the deity of Jesus. Yes, yes. And uh, the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that uh, Timothy knew that, and the readers of this epistle knew that Jesus is more than just a man. Absolutely. That Jesus is Absolutely. the Christ. Let, let's take just a moment. Let's talk a little bit about uh, who wrote this epistle and to whom uh, this epistle was written. Uh, we know that the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter, uh, and we know that he wrote to Timothy. But what do we know about young Timothy? Uh, what, what do you think we have as background to, to the life of Timothy? Well, you know, the text says he was a true son yeah. of the faith. Right. Uh, we know from, I think it, is it in the book of Acts? Hmm. 
chapter 18 where the, the Bible says that Timothy's mother was a Jewess yeah. and his father was a yeah. Gentile. And yeah. Paul would often yeah. uh, and see him, and he, he wanted to take yeah. Timothy with him on his missionary trip, yeah. and he had a really great reputation. And that's an important point. He traveled yeah. with Paul yes. on one of the missionary trips. Yes. And so Paul had an opportunity to really pour his life yes. into Timothy. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that he, he's a young man, a relatively young man yes. that, he's, that he's writing to here, Paul is writing to here, and he's, he's encouraging him. Yes. And I, I suppose it's important to take note that young men in the ministry, any man in the ministry needs encouragement Absolutely. from others that are outside. Old men need encouragement. Old men. Old men <laughs> need, well, we, we would know about that, wouldn't we? <laughs> well, we there's, there's a need for encouragement in the ministry. And I don't know exactly all the details of what was going on in this church at Ephesus where Timothy was serving. But apparently there was the need for things to be set in order. Yes. And uh, Paul had left Timothy there, wanted Timothy to stay there in order to set those things in order. Yes. I mean, it's, it's an interesting uh, background as you, as you stop and you think about this epistle is written for, to a young man who's been given the responsibility of taking a church and putting things in order. Yes. Yeah. Paul told Timothy, he said, if, I, if I'm delayed in coming, I, I'm writing this mm -hmm. epistle so that you know how you ought to conduct yourself yeah. in the house of God, which is, the, I love that phrase, which is the church yeah. of the living God, and it's the pillar and ground of the truth. And, yeah. and I, I love that expression. And so when, when I'm thinking about this, when I have been thinking about this recently, uh, churches have to run in an orderly fashion. Yes. And, Absolutely. And it's not something, it's not an order that, that we develop ourselves. I mean, there is a biblical pattern and a biblical order yes. that's supposed to be worked out. Absolutely. Do you see that as I, we're going through the I epistle? see it as it comes to surface all yeah. the way through, uh, as it deals with the gospel. I mean, yeah. it's a, it deals with the, yeah. the gospel of Jesus Christ and um, the deity of Christ and um, how, to, how to behave in the church. Yeah and how to lead a church. Yeah. And, and so the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to this young man who he has asked to stay in Ephesus for the purpose of setting in order uh, things that needed to be placed in order. And we don't know that Timothy was one of the elders in the church. Uh, he might not have been an elder in that particular church, but he had been put there for the purpose of giving instruction and teaching uh, to this church so that they would conduct themselves in an orderly fashion. And, of course, my take on it, as I read First Timothy, is at the heart of why he wanted the church to run in an orderly fashion is because he wanted the gospel to go forth. That's right. Absolutely. And a church that's in disorder uh, can never be efficient or effective yes. in, in accomplishing uh, the mission of carrying forth the gospel. Yeah, And he says in verse 11, in, in chapter 1, he, he talks about those false teachers who mm -hmm. wanted to be teachers of the law and uh, and so forth. Verse 10, he says, those guys were contrary to sound doctrine. Mm -hmm. But verse 11 is what you're saying, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was cr committed to my trust. Yeah. And so we're protectors of the pure gospel yeah. of Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, that's so important. The church is supposed to be, as he says in chapter 3, 
Uh, we ought to be, conduct ourselves in the house of God, which is the, the church of the living God, uh, the pillar the pillar and ground of the truth in verse 15. The pillar and ground of the truth. So the church has got to function in an orderly fashion so that the gospel can go forward because the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. You know, it seems like sometimes in today's world that the church has lost the truth, that it's gotten confused and distorted and uh, people are interested in psychology and all these other things that you can add into the church. And the, the simple, straightforward teaching of the Word of God has taken on a secondary uh, secondary significance. You know, one of the phrases in chapter 1 that I really like is in verse 15 where he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I I appreciate Paul's humility. Yes. Um, You know, Paul recognized what he had been prior to knowing Christ how he persecuted the church, and yet the reality is that he had been dramatically changed by the gospel, and he knew that that same gospel would transform other people's lives if the church just functioned properly, did its job, and stayed on mission uh, in preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And you mentioned uh, that phrase, this is a faithful saying. Is it? There's four of those yeah. faithful sayings yes. in First Timothy. I can't remember. I believe it's four. The faithful sayings of Christ. And that first one is, is, is super important because that's the mission of Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Yeah. And like you said, Paul, in his humility, said, of, of whom I'm chief. Yeah. Well, obviously, disorder in the church keeps you from being on mission. And just prior to that, people who are teaching things that are untrue, you know, that diverts the church from the true message of the gospel that he intends to go forth. And so it's important, as this letter is laid out, that um, the church run in a proper fashion, but it not be a man-made fashion, that it yes. be a God-ordained fashion. Yes. And it's, it's scary sometimes. You, you see things going on where there, there's no biblical support for it, you know, it's being pushed by society that we go at a particular direction in the church, but you really can't go that direction if you're going to follow the Word of God. And if we want the gospel to go forward, we have to operate according to the Scripture. Yes. You know, when I move into chapter 2, he talks about all men being saved. Uh, in verse 6, he says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Aren't we thankful that the gospel is for everybody? Amen. There isn't anybody excluded uh, from the gospel. Yes. He desires all men to be saved. But what stood out to me as I was reading through that, that chapter, trying to think through our discussion today, was what preceded that statement was prayer. Yes. That evangelism has to be preceded by, by prayer. Yes. Um, Amen. You know... You, you and I obviously spend a good bit of time praying, and um, we know the importance of prayer to the mission of the church, to the orderliness of the church, to the functioning of the church, to knowing false doctrine from true doctrine. Uh, you know, and you've talked to us about prayer. How important is prayer in oh the my. Christian's life? Oh. How important is it in the life of a church? You know, I, I think we minimize the Word of God, and we minimize prayer mm-hmm. so it's 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 terrible, but uh, I, I don't think that uh, we can elevate the Word of God and elevate the ministry Amen. of prayer. 
any higher than, than Scripture, and their super so prayer is super important. There's uh, absolutely no victory apart from prayer. Yeah. You know, there's no communion with Christ apart yeah. from prayer. Yeah. You know, uh, we can't win people to Christ apart from prayer. Uh, I have a, a prayer list, and I love to write down the yeah. dates I see people saved. And, and a young man I've been training and discipling this past week, he, he led somebody to the Lord. Amen. He took a picture of his prayer list, and he did it just like I, he, he saw someone get saved. He highlighted it, and he wrote the date when that person was, awesome. was saved. So we have to teach people how to pray and how to have a prayer list. And it's a, it's a priority. Prayer and the Word of God are two priorities. And, and I would say to all of those of you who are reading the Bible with us and reading through the Scriptures with us this year, uh, you know, one of the most important, the most important thing that you can do is not necessarily uh, pragmatic, it's prayer. Yes. You know, we always think if I could just organize this better, if I could be better at that, if, you know, if we had different this or had a different that, and somehow we negate, push out the importance of prayer. What we really need is the power of God. Yes. And the power of God only comes as, you know, we spend time in the Lord's presence and commune with Him, and as we preach His Word. I mean, His power is in our times in prayer and in uh, the proper exposition of his word, the proper presentation of the gospel. Yes. But, you know, when it comes to prayer, it seems like churches don't make time for, for prayer. Sure. And it's almost, it almost feels, and, I, and I've been guilty of it, you know, feel like we're squeezing it in rather than making it central to what we're right. doing. Because yeah. he says here to, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, we're supposed to be praying for all that are in authority. You know, we're supposed to be praying with hands that are lifted up and you know, we're supposed to have supplications and prayers and intercession and all of those things. Uh, so, so prayer is central to the life of a New Testament church. Amen. And it's just something Amen. that you cannot take lightly. You know, when we come to times of prayer in our own church, we ought to try to make sure that it's not just simply going through the motions so that we can say we prayed. And we, we work at that. We're not always successful, but we're working at that to make sure that prayer is a part of every service, that prayer is meaningful and significant, that we're communing to God and communing with God. We need Him uh, in our church. We need His power in our church. We, we want the gospel to be effective in changing people's lives, but that comes through prayer. Amen. We have to pray. Yes, sir. Um, but I also see when he talks here about praying for the kings and those in authority, he's back to praying about the forward advance of the gospel. Amen. I mean, what do you think he's saying here when he says he desires all men to be saved? Do you think he really means that, that he's really meaning he <laughs> wants everybody to be saved? Absolutely. He's not willing that any should perish, yeah, I agree. but that all should come to repentance. And uh, I, I love those verse number four where it hmm. talks about his desire. He desires all men to be saved. And then... Verse number eight, I desire, mm -hmm. therefore, yes. that men pray everywhere. And certainly the greatest, uh, you know, 
uh, weapon we have in this matter of evangelism is is prayer. We need Absolutely. to pray for unsaved people. Absolutely. And I, I think sometimes we, we get burdened with people and we pray for such a long time and we give up on them. Yeah. You know, but we need to stop and think. God wants to save people much more than you and I want to save yeah. people. Yeah. And uh, it is God who is the Savior and uh, certainly we, we, we need to pray. You know, talking about uh, not giving up on somebody, I can think of at least two occasions in my ministry you probably can think of some as well when somebody was praying for a loved one for a long time years of time one of them i know her husband got saved before he died but late in life Mm -hmm. the other her husband got saved during the funeral wow and came to me at the end of the funeral and said i just asked christ to be my savior amen and she had been praying for him for years and years and so the church has got to be a place of prayer and communion yes, with God. Uh, this you, know, you can be all orderly, you can be all structured, but if you don't have God's presence and God's power, I mean, you know, the gospel is not going to be effective in changing people's lives. Yes, sir. Um, so I'm thankful that the Lord loves uh, all of us, and the, the Lord loves every person, and will save any that will come to Him. I also love that phrase in in. Verse 5, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I mean, that puts everything on Christ. He is the center of everything. But I I can think of some religions where they pray to saints or they pray to people that, you know, maybe noble people, maybe honorable people, but there's only one mediator. What do you think one mediator means? I mean... Well, Should we pray to anybody else other than to Jesus? Well, the Scripture says there's only one mediator That's right. between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is both God and man, and he went to the cross to reconcile man yeah. back to God. And that's that's the, the theme of the Scripture. Yeah. When, you, when you look at 1 Timothy, when you look through the Word of God, you see the theme of the Scripture, yeah. God pursuing sinful men. And he, he wants to see people saved. And he's really pleased when yeah. you and I join him in that same oh, yeah. mission. Right. You know, because he's, he's the only way to right. heaven. There's and I appreciate no that about you. Yeah. You help us stay on mission. Uh, obviously, I'm working at it as well, but you help us to stay on mission. It's easy to forget. You know. It is easy to forget. Uh, you get distracted by all the things that are pulling for your attention. And before you know it, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not doing what's central and yeah. primary. And it's probably true for those of you that are reading the Bible with us this year. I mean, you get distracted by things. There's nothing more important than Jesus, nothing more important than the gospel of Jesus, nothing more important than his church that's been given the task of upholding the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and telling people you can't get to God any other way than through Jesus. And so if I die and you're still living... uh, you're not supposed to pray to me, right? Right. I can't help. Pray you to much. the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Tim's not going to be praying One to Saint mediator. David. <laughs> going to be praying to Jesus because Jesus alone. This morning, Pastor, I was uh, reading from the Christian Standard Version mm-hmm. in the Book of Acts, and it just it the way it was worded and translated, it just really leaped out. And I read the scripture. And it calls me to pause a few minutes and and pray. I like to read through and then stop and pray when God convicts me and speaks to me. 
uh, but I'm reading from the New King James uh, in Acts chapter, what is it, 28, and uh, the Bible says, so when they had appointed him a day, many came to him, to, to Paul's lodging, and uh, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God. The Bible says, persuading them mm. concerning Jesus, mm. and here's what I like, from both the law of Moses and of the prophets, and he was busy doing this from morning till evening, and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, mm. but some disbelieved. Yeah. And, you know, that's convicting, yeah. you know. And so I, I prayed and read through the Scriptures. Yeah. You know, well, persuading morning. people, that's yes. such an important word. I love the fact that he was persuading, you know, from the Old Testament. Yes. And the prophets, the law and Absolutely. the prophets. You know, some some people would have us to believe that the law and the prophets, you know, that's old stuff. We don't need to talk about that. But there is great value because it points to Jesus. All of Jesus it is, is the Jesus. Messiah. And Paul yeah. took the Old Testament and used it yeah. uh, to prove that Christ was well, the Messiah. And, and we should do that. I mean, there's times when we can do that. Yes. When people are questioning, you know, who is Jesus? I'm not sure if I believe that Jesus is the Christ or that he is the mediator. You know, you take them back into the Old Testament law, the Old Testament prophets, and you show how Jesus was a fulfillment of all yes. of that. And I think that's what Paul was a master at doing. Amen. Uh, he knew the law so well. He was an expert in the law. Yeah. And once he met the resurrected Christ on the Damascus Road and he knew that the law was fulfilled, the prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus, I mean, his message just suddenly blossomed. I mean, it was, yes. it was altogether different. Yes. Uh, and it all pointed to Jesus. How he missed it, you know, that's something we'll know when we get to heaven, I suppose. But he, he found the Lord, and the Lord found him on, on that Damascus road. You know, I want to talk about something that might be a little controversial. Um, when you get to the end of chapter 2, and I don't know if we'll get through all five of these chapters or six of these chapters, um, it talks about women, it talks about their role in the church. Um, you know, there's a lot today, a lot of discussion today about women preachers, women pastors, women elders. Um, and yet the Scripture seems to clearly forbid that role to women. Is that how you read the Scripture? That's how I read the Scripture. And that's how I read the Scriptures. Yeah. It's one of those controversial issues these days. But when he says, I don't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence, he wasn't talking just about your house. He was talking about right. the church, right. the church house. Right. <laughs> so how do you interpret those verses? What do you understand those yeah, verses to be I, said? I think he's giving us some information about conducting a, mm. a public prayer service, Correct. a public preaching service. And, uh, and he, he tells us that Adam was first formed. Mm -hmm. He goes by birth order. And then he goes by the, fall, the order of the fall. Mm -hmm. Eve was deceived, and then Adam fell, the Bible says, um, so um, it says, then nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing, referring to Eve, yeah. uh, giving birth to Messiah as we mm -hmm. go back to the Old Testament. And uh, uh, so it's, it's yeah. interesting. Well, when I read that, um, and I read through that passage, and then I get to chapter 3 where you get the qualifications for, for one who would be a bishop or a pastor or an elder, uh, it's, it's clear that that role is forbidden to women. We are, you know, the, the technical term I think is complementarian. Yes. Uh, we're not egalitarian. Egalitarians take the view that this was something unique to the period of time related to issues that were specific 
going on at that particular time, but now that we're no longer facing those issues, that you can uh, you can ignore those scriptures and you don't have to follow them in the same fashion. And when I when I hear that argument, it, it scares me because I, I think about other issues like homosexuality. If we take that kind of a viewpoint, well, that was something unique to that time. It was specific to that day, and suddenly you've opened the door to a lot of things that right. can change. Right. Uh, rather than just taking the word uh, at face value. Yes. And then he, he connects it as well to creation. Yes. It's connected to creation yes. order. And it's not that your wife can't uh, have a role in the church or your, a woman can't have a role in the church, but she is spe- specifically forbidden from the role of elder or pastor or, or bishop. You know, you look at the qualifications for the bishop and the deacon, those are, those are high qualifications. Yes, sir. Uh, Absolutely. I notice most of them are related to character. Some of them are related to your conduct, but a lot of them are related to character. Um, Absolutely. It's not an easy thing uh, sometimes to uh, you know live up to that standard. But the, nevertheless, I mean, we, we should be seeking if we're going to be men of God, uh, going to be deacons, we should be desiring to live up to that standard. And these are these are th- things we have to to work work at each day because oh, yeah. I, I look at that little phrase where it says to to be gentle, mm-hmm. you know, not to be covetous yeah. or to have covetousness in your life. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see somebody who has something new and you want it, and uh, you know God wants us to to deal with those things immediately. Apt to teach, yeah. Uh, ruling your house, taking care, and that goes back to that verse fifteen. The Church of God. Mm-hmm. I, I love that phrase. Yeah. The Church of God. Mm-hmm. You, know. you know, in these qualifications, specifically for the bishop, in verse six, he says, "Not a novice, not a novice." I mean, all of these quality character and characteristics these um, that are given to us here, uh, they obviously are things that you, you've got to live out so other people can recognize and see those things in your life. So you're not looking to choose somebody to fulfill that role or give somebody that role until they have proven themselves. Right. Um, why, why do you think that would be true? Not a novice. Well, someone who's not a new convert, yeah. someone that's not new, you know, new to the faith, yeah. but they have a, a, a record of spiritual growth, yeah. stability, yeah. and faithfulness mm-hmm. and provenness uh, because faithfulness and, and daily daily walk is is a proof of yeah. of where you're being and where you're going. Yeah. And uh, so he says it's easy for a new convert to be lifted up with mm-hmm. pride, mm-hmm. and you fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Yeah. And so well, you you and I can remember when we were young ministers, and you know we we had to prove ourselves. Yeah. We had to live in a way that demonstrated that we had the character. Yes. We said we had the calling, yes. but do we have the character yes. to match that calling? True. And um, by living it out, then people recognized it in our lives, and then you know, the various churches were, were willing to set us apart to that, to that task. But you don't just take somebody who's just brand new in the faith and say, wow, you're called to preach, so let's give you the pulpit. You just go start. Right. You might preach a message. But right. you don't give them the role of a pastor, pastor. or an elder. Be, being a pastor church. is a whole different thing no from question. being a preacher. No <laughs> question. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of preachers, but there's very few pastors. Right. Uh, exactly. Mm. You know, when we get to chapter four, <clears throat> we're going to have to move along here a little more quickly. I think 
He talks about, uh, in verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says, in latter times some will depart from the faith. <coughs> I think it's clear that uh, that's happening today, don't you think? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And these, these are evil spirits, and, <clears throat> and these false doctrines that, that Paul warns Timothy about, he calls these doctrines doctrines <clears throat> of demons. Oh, and yes. some of them even shipwreck their faith, the Bible says. And he even names them, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Yeah. They delivered to Satan that they might not learn to blaspheme. Uh, false mm -hmm. doctrine will destroy. Yeah. And it, it has to be carefully, as, as well, a pastor, <clears throat> you're, you're our pastor, and I know that you're constantly looking oh. with your eyes open. You know, there's, there's so many avenues today for people to hear things and adopt them, but don't have the biblical understanding or knowledge to, you know, to, to strain out the things that are bad. Right. And they, right. they slip in, and all of a sudden you got a group of people that are believing something that's just not even biblical, not yeah. even true. I think Timothy says they, they've crept in unaware. They've crept in unaware, no. and that's, that's, a, that's a scary thing. Yeah. You know, in verse 10, it repeats again at the end of verse 10, the Savior of all men. And then he qualifies, especially of those who believe. Obviously, the work that Jesus has done for us is for all men, but the only ones who experience that are the ones who believe right. in Jesus. So I want to encourage those of you that are Bible readers to make sure that you keep presenting the gospel. It's not enough just to know the gospel. You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as we move into chapter 5, Brother Tim, you know, he takes on some things related to widows. I'm thankful in our church that we have a ministry to widows. I'm grateful for all of those dear ladies that we're able to, to reach out to in a special way and show them love uh, at, at a time in life. I know that they weren't, weren't expecting to be at that particular place in life. They you know, wanted to live a lot more years with their husbands, I'm sure. But in the early New Testament church, they had a special place for widows in the church that met the qualifications and the church apparently took care of those widows yes. in very significant ways. I mean, our society is a little different today in the way we're structured and the way we care for widows. But still, the church has a, a role in loving those widows and yes. caring for them. Yes. Um, Some even believe they had a, a widow's role correct? because the women outlived the, the men. Yeah. And, of course, he, he even qualifies, he calls honor widows who are really widows. I think the King yeah. James says, widows, what, indeed? Indeed, yeah. And uh, uh, because the children and the grandchildren of those families have a huge responsibility toward their parents, yeah. and the church, you know, shouldn't have to take that responsibility. Yeah. But sometimes we, we do as individual believers yeah. because God certainly takes care of the widows and the orphans. And no question. And... Uh, no Especially question. in the New Testament, the, it, the widows. It is fascinating when you read through the Scripture how God loves the widows and the orphans. Yes, sir. I mean, He oh, really has a lot to say about yes. that. And then it's demonstrated in this New Testament church, and I trust in our own church, yes. that, that widows and orphans, God sees them in the plight that they find themselves, yes. and God wants us to care for them and love them in special ways yes. that demonstrate, you know, their great value to the church. Yeah, he really put some structure uh, to yeah. get on this list. What, what was the age? 60. They had to be 60. Yeah. And uh, 
the the scriptures. No children, no children could take care of them. No family members they had to be care people of faith. Had to be people of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me about that list is that if they had family that didn't take care of them, he said that they're worse than an infant. That's right. Pretty strong, and that's I mean that's strong. Strong language. We have to stop and think about our loved ones, especially the widows and the orphans. If we're part of their family, I mean, we have a role and responsibility. The church has a role and a responsibility to love them and care for them. Uh, And he told the younger widows that were under that age, he said, for you to remarry. That's right. And um, so it's okay to remarry, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) To have children, the Bible says. Yes, to have children. And to to manage their house and to give no opportunity to the adversary. That might seem a little bit self-serving if we talk about chapter 5, verse 17, about the elders uh, worthy of double honor and and (laughs) double pay. And, you know, that might seem a little self-serving. So we, we might not talk about that, but... There is a place for showing honor and respect to those that lead in the church and uh, recognizing them for their service and for their ministry of the Word. Amen. It's important that uh, we recognize that importance. Uh, we're not asking that for ourselves. We're just saying that anybody who serves in God's church and serves God's church in the proper way, who meets these qualifications, um, is someone that the church has a role of taking care of and, and being responsible in yes. blessing. That's the right word, in blessing them. Uh, you know, one of the things that interests me is down in verse 23, apparently uh, Timothy was like a lot of us preachers. You know, he had stomach issues. <laughs> you know, our, we, we keep keep it in, I suppose, and it churns in our stomach. And he must have been you know, had some illness and some, some kind of infirmity related to his stomach. Um, you remember what they told him to Take. To drink a little wine medicinally, <laughs> medicinally. for the stomach's sake. And, of course, uh, the water <clears throat> purification yeah. was, was terrible at Ephesus, and historically it was, it, the water was bad. Yeah. And so there was, he says, a little wine yeah. for your often infirmities. It would be like us going to the, get a prescription at the pharmacy. Right. And, you know, they prescribe an exact amount, and it was for a prescription specific purpose of treating an illness and apparently they were able to use some of this uh, to treat that kind of an illness with Timothy took NyQuil you know what, <laughs> they did. something what is it, 90% alcohol <laughs> uh, I don't is it still that much I don't know if it's still that much or not uh, but uh, he was a he was a relatively young preacher given this in- incredible task of setting in order this church and you know there's a lot of responsibility and I don't want to put his illness or his infirmity just into a stress-related matter. It could have been some kind of an infection or something of, of that nature. We don't really know what the infirmity was, yeah. just something related to his stomach. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Paul writes and says, a little bit medicinally was the right word. Right. Medicinally uh, to take care uh, of your stomach. Well, if you get into chapter 6, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful chapter. Uh, anything stand out to you out of chapter 6? I, I know we're getting along here, so... Anything you want to point out that, uh, you know, one of the things that stands out to me at the end of verse 5, there are people from whom you should withdraw yourself. Yes. Um, People who aren't teaching uh, properly, people who don't consent to wholesome words, people who are proud or, you know, there there is a time to withdraw. Yes. You know, we try to stay connected as much as is possible, but 
you know, when there's contention uh, over truth and, and over honoring God and over His Word, you know, there, there's a time to withdraw from people. There's another word that you mentioned at mm-hmm. the beginning of the podcast that, that repeats itself, mm-hmm. uh, supposing that godliness, mm-hmm. the word godliness, mm-hmm. uh, is an important word in First Timothy. Uh, he says, godliness with contentment is, is great gain. Yeah. And uh, certainly contentment is something that... Uh, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes and yeah. all of us as believers, uh, it's easy to get yeah. pulled away from Christ. We need to be content yeah. in Christ, godliness with contentment. And it's something we learn. Yeah, you, know? it's, you have to learn mm-hmm. it. Uh, the advertising agency doesn't want us to be content. Right. And that's why they put up all the advertisements. They're, they're playing to our discontent. And there's got to be something better. There's got to be something more. And we never learn to enjoy what God's given to us. Right. So we're never thankful for it because we're always looking for the next thing. And in the process, it's like materialism. It's like, it's like money can do. It turns your heart yes. away from the Lord. And I love that phrase too. Godliness is a means of gain. I mean, it's, it's a matter of great gain. Um, he continues on down through here. He even talks about the love of money is the root or a root of all kinds of evil. Uh, some, some translations read all evil, and it's as if every evil is related to money, but he's really talking about all kinds of evil. Money becomes a root that can produce all kinds of evil. Yes. So what does he tell us to do, those who have money or those who, who might someday acquire money? Uh, he gives a specific command. Brother Tim, you want to... Uh, just expound on that a moment. Well, he, he, he tells us that we need to battle this thing called greediness mm-hmm. because it will pierce our hearts and bring us many sorrows. Uh, he says that we should flee these things and mm. pursue righteousness and mm. fight the good fight of faith. And, and I love that phrase, other than lay hold on covetousness, he, he says lay hold on this quality of life, this yeah. eternal life. Yeah. Uh, um, which is a great confession. And if, if you and I are rich in this world, we, we need to be rich in generosity mm-hmm. and rich in good works. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly uh, in verse 18, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. And there's that phrase that they may mm-hmm. lay hold mm-hmm. on eternal life. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful to, to be content with the things God's given to us. If uh, we're given riches of some kind, we have to be careful that they don't turn our hearts away from the Lord and we stay focused on what is most important, lay hold of those things that are most important in yes. life. And yes. it's, I don't know about you, but it is for me so easy to be pulled away from yes. the things that are, that, that are most important in life. Um, he finishes out chapter 6. He says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. I mean, some people present themselves as being so smart and knowing so many things, but he says it's a false kind of a knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Yep. Grace be with you. Amen. And he finishes the epistle. 
Is there any closing thought that we might come up with or we might want to share before we finish? Uh, any overall thought that you want to share? I, I love the Christology. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I love verses 14 and 15. And mm. there's another verse in chapter 1 that's very similar to this about the greatness of God. Yes. Uh, but but it, it tells us that uh, who alone has immortality, mm. dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Mm. Amen. And uh, there's a great doxology. A great, great doxology. And, mm. uh, there, there's another one similar to that, and I, I can't remember where it is, maybe in chapter 1 or... Uh, somewhere here in First Timothy. Yeah, I, I love when one of the writers, Paul or Peter, one of them, will give a doxology. They, they yeah. come to a particular point, and all of a sudden they break into praise to God. Yes. All of a sudden it's like my heart's overwhelmed with the greatness of God and the, and the wonder yes. of, of he's, what he's done for me through Jesus Christ, and suddenly he, he breaks into a doxology. Yes. I mean, it's just incredibly beautiful. Amen. So. Well, thank you for joining us and being with us. Thank you, Brother Tim. Yes, sir. I, I can't stand for... in very well for Jeremy, yeah. but I did the best I <laughs> you could did do good. today. And uh, you, you're a pro at this. Yeah. You, you've done yeah. this uh, many, many times. And again, I, I want to say thank you for reading your Bible with us. Brother Tim and I were talking the other day about how important it is for every believer to be in the Scripture regularly, consistently, not just on Sunday when the preacher is preaching, but every single day. Make sure to spend time reading your Bible and uh, spend time listening to the Lord speak to your heart. Uh, It is invaluable. It is invaluable to your spiritual life. We need prayer. We need the Word of God. And I trust that you'll have a great rest of this week.